Good evening, everybody. This is Manny here, and welcome to the first installment of Manny Talks, a new podcast of me talking to my friends and other shooters in the community. Tonight, I am very honored to have my buddy, Brian Levy, on the show. Brian, how are you doing? I'm good. Good. Awesome. Uh, for any of you who don't know, Brian is also known as Reds Dots on YouTube. I don't know if he's got any other social media at the moment, but... We're gonna have a good they're talk tonight. Te- they're still technically an Instagram. It's red reds r e d s underscore d o t dot singular. Let's start with my my favorite question. What is your background? Okay, uh, I was uh, born and raised in Southern California. Um, my father took me out shooting for the first time when I was six. Um, I started shooting bullseye and like general pistol matches that involved like good grouping, static in a, in a bay of ranges uh, when I was like nine. Um, when I was a teenager, I learned to shoot trap and skeet with my grandfather and shot competitively for a while. Uh, it wasn't very good, but I did it. Um, by the time I got to college, I had gotten a gig working for a uh, defense contractor, a machine gun manufacturer. So I did a bunch of cool stuff there. Um, at the same time, I was going to college. I got on the college, um, they call it a corporate challenge team where they actually had a shooting competition. So I did that for a little while. Um, then, uh, you know, life happened. I got married uh, and the wife got a gig uh, here in Texas. So we moved to Austin. Um, I should mention that I went to college and lived in Las Vegas from 99 all the way until 2012 when we moved. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, we moved here. I started shooting IDPA just as a way to kind of test my carry skills. I thought it'd be interesting uh, way back in the day when there were still, you know, cover calls and all that kind of goofy stuff. Um, did that, got into USPSA, uh, been at that since 2012, basically. And so, wow, I've been doing this stuff for nine years now, almost 10. Uh, and that's truly a long time to be actually in the shooting sports. And that's, and being actually active in shooting. So that's pretty impressive on my book, because I don't know a lot of people personally who've been doing it that long. Well, I'm almost 41. I started when I was six. Mm-hmm. So a little fast, you know, off the top of my head math, that basically is 34, 35 years I've been shooting. Mm-hmm. That's a, it's a long time. I wish I was shooting that long. I wish I was that old, though, too. Maybe I wouldn't be so many, have any, so many issues in life. Uh, no, I'd be a uh, be a whole lot happier if I was twenty again. Eh, twenty and du- twenty and dumb though. I I lived those when I was really like in my early twenties. I did some dumb crap that I am finally getting out of the hole for. So fair. Now you said you started in in the practical shooting games. You started in IDPA to test your skills. What division did you start in? Uh, I started in stock service pistol because I didn't know any better. At the time when I started that, I had it was an FNS nine, um, and I got it because I still remember this. I got it because it had completely ambidextrous controls, and I'm left-handed, so that's already been brought up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had night sights because that was important to have night sights. You should have a gun that has good night sights. Um, so yeah, I had that, and I competed with that for a while. It was the first striker gun I'd ever owned. I'd never owned a striker gun before that. Um, it was very weird. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was sort of an interesting experience, just this idea of shooting under time pressure. I mm-hmm. go back and I, I see some some videos from maybe after eight months or so of being in the sport and watching myself shoot. It's cringy. It's cringy to watch. I'm just like, oh, this is so awful. Like, everything that I'm doing wrong that I can see now. And I'm just like, but I didn't know better. That was what I knew. I mean, and honestly, even from my short experience in the shooting sports, I watched my first match videos. I don't like that shooter. And it is quite cringy to watch yourself when you're that bad. And it, it's like, who was this guy? Yep. Uh, but, um, and then you went into USPSA, I'm assuming, in, into production then from there? Yeah, for sure. So I shot IDP for a while. I ended up getting a, a Glock 21, which I still have. Um, and I was a 45 guy, like I was for the longest time, I was a 45 guy, you know, the, the whole thing with, the I've seen nine millimeter fail to expand, but I've never seen 45 shrink. That was me. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and that was the household I was brought up into. 
Um, mm-hmm. That's a whole other story, which if we want to get into, we can. Having to tell my dad I started carrying nine millimeter, I might as well just told him I was gay. It would have been easier. <laughs> um, anyway, but I got a, a Glock 34 because that was the hotness with the Glock shooters. A lot of them were shooting Glock 34, so I got a Glock 34, and it thing felt like cheating. Like after I had been shooting all these other guns, like this is so mm-hmm. easy to shoot. So everybody's like, you're surely going to shoot USPSA. And I was like, okay. And they're like, well, you can use your 34. You just need some more mags and, you know, some you know extra pouches in your belt. So for like a year, I had the same. I just used my IDPA setup and added mag pouches to my belt and just ran that way for a year. And then got sort of more sucked into the shoot, fa- the, 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 the shoot fast and accurate thing that USPSA is. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming, because you said you've used Comtac, you use Comtac products mostly. Was your IDPA rig... Mostly uh, contact pouches, or are they blade tech? Yes. No, um, I started out actually with Phobis, believe it or not. That was the okay. thing I could find that was readily available left-handed. Um, but I had a buddy of mine who was left-handed, had a contact holster, and he's like, here, you can borrow this. And I said, oh, I don't want I'm fine. And he's like, trust me, try it. I tried it, and I'm like, okay, fine. I'm going to spend more than 30 bucks on a holster. And like to me, that was like, a, you know, like, oh, man, I got to spend all this money. Like, yeah, honestly, it was worth it. And I really do. I like the products. I know that I've heard a lot of people complain about them, but I've never had an issue. Um, mm-hmm. They suit my, my, you know, my draw style and all that really well. They have great retention. Um, so, but yeah, I, even to this day, I still use contact for my stuff. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of Beretta guys right now who are trying to run the RDO are using contact holsters because that's pretty much all they can find that'll fit the general sizes of weird Berettas because... Oh, uh, every Beretta's thick, skinny, chunky, short, fat. Yeah, the the problem is it's with a rail, without a rail. Is it a brig slide? Not a brig slide? Is it a you know that all that stuff definitely affects that. So that's a that's a big deal for sure. Um, and I will say one cool thing that Compact does now is that all their full size international holsters are have an extra width at the back on the side of the holster to accommodate extra wide optics. So none of the optics run on or rub on the holster or anything like that. They steer clear of it. Well, that's pretty good then. At least they're yeah. thinking instead of being uh, stuck in their ways. Yeah. Now, we talked about you starting in IDPA, starting in USPSA. What is your primary division right now? Carry optics. Carry optics. And you're, you went through, I've been watching most of your content, and you went from... Well, when we've talked, but you went from the 34 to your 17 now. Yes, recently, after mm-hmm. Nationals. I was shooting a 34 at Nationals. And you're not regretting it? No, I love the damn thing. Mm-hmm. But I, we'll get into that a little bit later. I've got some more questions on that. So. Sure. But, um, ha- up to this point, you're... Oh, I'm sorry. We haven't even gone over your classifications. Sir, what are your classifications in... IDPA and USPSA. Um, I am no longer classified in IDPA. I, as of last week, I've been banned from the sport entirely. That's a yeah. real, real, real truth, and not a, not a funny story. Mm-hmm. Um, we won't get into that though, because that's for another day. Yeah, sure. Uh, there, there's there, there's an interview with me on the Paracast going over that, and there's been a lot of discussions on Reddit's competition shooting sub forum, so you can kind of catch up on current events there. Um, before I was banned, though, I was not well classified at IDPA. I was purposefully sandbagging in the sport. Uh, in USPSA, though, currently, I think I'm a 92% master um, is where I'm at right now. And then technically in production, I got bumped. I stopped shooting production classifiers, I don't know how long ago. I was 68% and some change. Mm-hmm. But because of parity rules, I'm now an A-class production shooter, even though I haven't really reasonably shot a production classifier in forever. Um, but, yeah, I left production as a mid-B-class and rolled into CO and just sort of steam steamrolled my way through. And, you know, here I am knocking, trying to knock on the door of Grandmaster. Yeah, and I, I agree and disagree with the bump-ups for, you know, one less than your current classification and your highest classification. But when you get to be a GM in PCC, it doesn't really make you a, a master in every other division, though. Mm, there, there's some parity there. I will say, um, honestly, like now, I, it, it's probably fair to have me as a class in production. Mm-hmm. Um, I doubt I have the reload skills that I used to have with that, only because short mags and lots of reloads. But 
far as speed and control, I'm way better even with iron sights than I was at the time when I left production. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, and the dot, the red dot, it really does make everyone a better iron shooter, in my honest opinion. I think it can teach you a lot that will actually apply to both, for sure. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, red dots, they just make it a whole lot easier to be able to learn what your sights are doing. With the irons, it takes a little bit of skill to figure out exactly what the front sight does in recoil and tracking that. So. Yeah, it's a much more gross sight picture versus having a finite dot moving. Mm-hmm. Plus, you, you're not working with three different focal planes anymore. You're working with one. Mm-hmm. I, the process. I even heard the other day that someone was thinking that it's a four focal plane system to shoot with over irons. But that's on them, and I didn't dive too deep into that. As soon as I heard that, I was like, we'll shelf this for now. <laughs> Three's already enough. Yeah, your eyeballs are really only designed to look at one. Mm-hmm. So. Now, what drives you to keep shooting or to be better? Drives me to keep shooting or be better? Uh, there's a handful of things. Number one, um, I would say is that my efficiency, especially with small arm, is what I normally use for self-defense. And that was originally the reason I got into this whole thing to start with while I was using IDPA. I wasn't using it for training, but I was using it to find stuff that I should work on. Um, And I think even now, even though I'm playing the game and I've invested my time and energy into playing the game well, what I've found is that it makes my skill in general a whole lot better. I'm really comfortable operating it under stress. and so things like building a good, strong index and all that for, for self-defense has a lot of validity. So that's definitely one of the reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I think internal motivators are pride and sense of accomplishment. I mean, it, I went from being kind of the mid-pack guy to being one of the top shooters in the local area. Um, I'm not quite to the point where I'm, I would say that I'm really, truly area competitive, but I'm getting there. And, you know, it's one of those that... I feel like I don't I can see the path it would take to get to be truly, truly top end competitive. And it's almost more than I want to put in. But at the same time, there's a sense of satisfaction and knowing that I retained a level where that's actually within sight. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Oh, absolutely. It's and it's remark. You know, I think the Laney Basham quote on the top five percent of uh, people uh, win 95 percent of the time. So. And you're getting there, and I mean, you're seeing your your high level competitive locally. You're getting to that um, regional area competitiveness, and then you're striving to be that na- one of those top guys nationally. And I can see it. I mean, you put hell of a lot of work in it. I mean, we talk all the time, and yeah. you're push you're pushing me. I'm pushing you. I mean, we're both getting better together because we want we have our goals we want to make, and I can see you're gonna hit your goals. Now, speaking of your goals, what are your exact goals at this very moment for 2021 and maybe down the road two, three years for your shooting? Uh, for shooting? Okay. So 2021, I have two separate goals. Mm-hmm. Um, goal number one is to um, make the classification of Grandmaster. So that mm-hmm. is to achieve a 95% of BSA classifiers. Uh, I am close to that i got a very close uh just before nationals and then i had a couple of bad classifiers hit which brought me down but the reality is the classifier system is you know a rolling average effectively so i i have no con- i have no no concern that over the period of this year that i'll be able to pull that off i can land enough high quality classifiers and make that happen mm-hmm. um the other goal is to go to uh, USPSA Nationals this year for carry optics and uh, land somewhere in the top 25. So that's that's the one that's going to take more work. Mm-hmm. Um, this last year, I ended up, uh, I think it was 43rd overall um, at Nationals in carry optics. And uh, a couple of guys I've squatted with ended up at the sort of the, between the, the 20th place and, or, and 25th place. Mm-hmm. And I saw how much different their shooting was in the mine, and the answer is not very much different. It was mm-hmm. this much. And I know that I can train past that level for sure. Now, I also know that everybody else after this year is training harder, working on things and improving. So I'm definitely in a foot race with everybody else. So I don't, I can't improve just this much and then make it. 
but this much plus a little more will definitely put me there. Um, so for me, that's that that's actually a big motivator. I'm actually close to that. And some people, you know, they want to be top 10, top five. They want to be national champion. Um, again, I know what it, the work it would take to get there. And there's other things in my life that I'd like to do. So I don't have the commitment to get to that level. Mm-hmm. But being able to say that to me, at least personally, being able to say that I was a top 25 shooter nationally, that's that's no small feat, man. I mean, you're, you're basically saying that realistically at a national level, there's 25, maybe 30 people that can beat you. Mm-hmm. On that like, day, that, yeah. Well, on that day, on that three days, I mean, that's one of those things. Nationals is a three-day event, and then, but it, you know, you got to perform when they call you on to perform. Your equipment's got to perform. You got to show up ready to rock and roll, and to be able to do that and have be able to say that, like, wow, that's that's impressive. Like to me, any any of the guys I shot with, like that squad I was on, man, it was just I think Blanton described it as a squad of murderers, and he's kind of he's kind of not wrong. I mean, I was probably bottom third of that squad. And, you know, I'm an M class. Mm-hmm. So it was just, there was just a bunch of really good shooters in that squad. And it was really cool mm-hmm. um, just to shoot with them. And it was just super like motivating. Yeah. And I remember when we were talking about who was on your squad, I remember Hunter Constantine was on there and he just did not have a very good national match he, with his, uh, all his equipment issues. And is it even mental or no, honestly, like he, and that's the thing I give that guy a lot of credit for. Like he he had he had some serious mechanicals. Like he at one point he had a mag stick on a short course stage. He zeroed out a stage. Um, he's had a bunch of like feeding issues and had to change the top end of one of his guns. Um, the thing that blows my mind is he had all those problems. He still ended up thirtieth. Wow. Like you don't talk about somebody that should have been in the top ten. I, I'm pretty sure Hunter is definitely one of them. He, he, he shooting with him was awesome. Like watching him go like. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it just, it just sort of happened. Like, so it was awesome. It was awesome to watch. It was great being squatted with him. Uh, funny guy, seriously, great sense of humor on top of everything else. So and he, he lives down in Arizona, I think Prescott or maybe even Phoenix, but he gets to train with Nils a lot. So when you're rubbing against the top end of shooting, Nils is one of those guys that you can learn a lot and just be improved by just being around them. Yep. Even though he's a tactical, well, not a, a shooting giraffe, someone I want. I think someone I listened to said he was a giraffe. He's really tall looking, though. And he's really a tall dude. I've seen him in person. Yeah. But um, now, do you think with 2021, with the primer shortage and ammo shortage, do you think that attendance at nationals is going to be lower or more concentrated in top end competitors? It's a good question. Um, I don't know. I, I think that they're in. We've had this discussion, not necessarily about nationals in particular. We've had discussion about ammo and the, the shortages quite a bit. And I think it comes down to those of us that are geared to compete, those of us that want to be able to perform, that want to get out there and do the thing. We'll find a way to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And the people who are bemoaning the price of ammo, and I'm just not going to shoot because it's just it's too much, and I can't find or I can't do. There are those of us that are finding and there are those of us that are doing. And it's one of those like, yeah, I'm not buying the cheapest primers right now. Yeah, I'm not buying the cheapest ammo available right now. But it's more important to me to spend the money to be able to compete than it is for me to sit on my thumbs and not. So Mm -hmm. I make that decision that that's the trade-off I'm willing to take in order to make my goal happen. So I think the people who are still driven will still be at nationals. Now, will that reduce overall attendance? Maybe. Um, attendance was um, pretty strong, and we were in peak COVID uh, for nationals this year. And mm-hmm. so, you know, there was over 400 competitors, I think, at the production CO match. Yeah, I, I think, yeah. Many, mm-hmm. I don't know how many were at the, the race gun nats the next weekend, but, I mean, that's that's a significant number of bodies. I mean, it's pretty much a full match. And, you know, you're talking, like I said, you're, we were peak COVID, so... Mm-hmm. nationals this year will be in october and they're already talking about vaccine rollouts people are already getting vaccinated so i mean by the time we roll around october i would i would i would assume that a good majority of the u.s has been vaccinated and the the, you know, the covid risk will have dropped to the point where it's pretty much a non-thing mm-hmm. we can um, hope so it's going to come down to availability of ammo for people mm-hmm. um but yeah 
So I don't know. I don't know if it'll necessarily drop attendance, but I don't think you're going to see any drop in heat. The people who care will be there. Mm-hmm. Right. And honestly, I think I will listen to something the other day and it's like, People who make who fight through this ammo shortage are going to be dry firing a lot more and putting in the work other ways than necessarily putting rounds down range, but making those rounds that they have to practice count even more than ballistic masturbation at the range or doing mm-hmm. whatever they want. I mean, I know I've I haven't shot a live round since November, unfortunately, but I've been hit I've been touching my gun and dry firing almost every day, so I will not, warn you, 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 when you finally get to the range and crank off a few rounds, you will experience the disappointment that is recoil. That is a it, thing. Yeah. Well, I did chrono me. ammo last week. It's but not the same. It is. <laughs> so I, I did that at the beginning of this during the lockdowns in March, and everything got locked down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, okay, well, I'm locked down. So between, like, March to, like, I don't know, mid-May, so, mm-hmm. you know, one two and a half months or so straight. Mm-hmm. All I basically did was dry fire. And it finally got lifted enough to the point where I could go down to the range and practice. And at first practice, oh, dude, I pulled the trigger and I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> it went bang. You know, like, you know, I've been shooting for years and it still, it still shocked me and I still felt uncomfortable for like the first couple of magazines. It was, it was a little weird. You'd spend so much time dry firing. Like you don't realize like how much you're, you're pushing out that, that, that mental remembrance of recoil. Mm-hmm. So it is important to make sure that you do get out there and get some live fire in. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to Jay Field the other day, and he was talking about how he'll take one magazine full of ammo, one, but he can just walk out his back door and go shoot at his at his ranges. And I mean, that's a cool idea to be able to go and just take one round of mag, you know, one magazine, twenty two bullets, and do what you've got to get done and be able to go inside. But not all of us have the convenience of walking out their back door to go shoot. We have to drive half hour to 45 minutes one way, set up all your targets and steal, and then shoot. It, it doesn't make it very worth our while to drive all that way in that effort to shoot 22 rounds. But yep. that's why, I mean, but the frequency of, you know, rounds won't be a bad idea, but it's not practical for everyone. I wish I, no. I wish it was practical for me. I wish. I mean, I guess I could just start shooting the concrete in my basement, but my wife would be pissed. <laughs> yeah, and I suspect at some point somebody will call the police, and you'd not be really happy about that. No. No. Um, now, you said you want to become top 25 at nationals and be a GM this year. Is there anything in particular you're focusing on hard that was a deficiency last year that you found, or is it just in yes. general? Um, I will be, I'm taking a class a little bit later uh, this year with Travis Tomasi, and I think a lot of the focus is probably going to be on movement control and my mental game. Mm-hmm. Uh, some I suspect that's where he's going to find most of my deficiencies. Um, the mental game stuff I'm still working on, that's all very new to me, frankly. Uh, mm-hmm. But the movement control is not, I've been working on that for a while. Um, but the thing I found was the speed, the, the general speed on a stage. Um, I wowed myself up, and even when I went back and did it, like on my channel, I've got an in-depth review of my Nationals runs, and I noticed that I was shooting very conservatively, and the thing was is that the conservative shooting shouldn't have driven my movements or, and everything else between, but it did. Mm-hmm. So by me not wanting to split the target quite as fast, and then I transitioned a little slower, meant I left the position a little slower, I started shooting slower, entering a position and what I saw was a lot of the guys that ended up beating me didn't really shoot better points, but they were faster by half a second per stage for the whole match. And, you know, if this, the match is 22 stages, well, then that's 11 seconds I've thrown away, you know, shooting the same points. Um, in a more extreme case, uh, you know, relatively famous and or infamous, depending on how you look at it, Guy Tony Wong is a friend, you know, now I consider him a friend, uh, shot, um, I think he was almost a full 30 seconds faster than me. And mm-hmm. he shot he shot slightly better points than I did, not by much. But, I mean, he smoked me. He ended up, uh, he was 23rd overall at Nationals. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had, I mean, it, but yeah, he had 30 seconds on me. Easy. Um, so... But wouldn't that's, we also say that 
uh, Tony lives in speed mode? Mm, no, I think he, he, as he described it and where he learned it, um, was this idea of the, you know, um, we'll get into some stuff that I probably won't talk about too much, but is, uh, the idea of the quote unquote house of speed. Um, there's a, there's a lot of philosophy behind that takes a lot of explanation. And I think I understood some of it on an intellectual level as we discussed it, but it wasn't until he and I got in the range and he started having me go through some exercises that I really started to grasp what he really meant. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds strange and esoteric, but it, it's, it's really, really what that's about is that you really need to push the speed, but you can't do so blindly. You're mm-hmm. not just going willy-nilly for the sake of it. And if you don't have the vision, the coordination, or the understanding to go with it, it's a waste of ammo to try to do it. Right. And Tony came out 28th, right behind Tyler at 27th. And he, is Tony that shot... overall or is that in CO? Oh, let's go in CO. Oh, I was on combined, so we'll click. Oh, um, okay, so Tyler was 22nd and Tony was 23rd. You were right. Shot yeah. Tony shot 91% of points. Surprising. You can see that he's got like a no shoot penalty and some other stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Look at his time. What's his net time? It's, it was. It was. Two hundred ninety six point six four. Yeah, I want to say I was like three twenty something. And if you're a USPSA competitor or anyone who uses Practice Score, get the competitor app. It's very handy. Best ten bucks you'll ever spend. You've got me up there. What was what was my total match time? Your yeah, you have to scroll down that list a bit. Eh, it's not that far. You were 43rd with, yeah, 314.98. 314, okay. So not quite as far a disparity as I remember, but yeah. I shot uh, 314 seconds and he was 296. With your one foot fault. <laughs> yeah, with my one PE for foot fault. I earned that, every I, bit of that foot fault. I, I mean, I had to slow that down and look at that a couple times to figure that out from watching that video. That yeah. guy was an awesome RO then. Yeah, I know. Like I told, I, if again, there's two ROs there that I wish I could go back and be like, okay, points to that guy for being an amazing RO and making an amazing call. That was a tough call to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course there's the other guy who was just he was just a fun, funny RO. So mm-hmm. now you said you're taking Tomasi in when when's that coming up? A couple months? That's a couple of weeks actually. It's uh, going to be. February 18th and 19th here in the Austin area. Are you going to film any of that? Or are you just for your own personal use or no? I'm going to video some of it. I'm going to talk to to Travis and I'm actually kind of curious. I don't want to rehash because he did a, was it hit factor podcast just recently? He yeah. With a, uh, Boomer and uh, Jason, uh, Jared Fox. Yeah. He did a, a really, really in-depth interview with those guys and they really got like his, his full background, like great story. Mm-hmm. I don't want to rehash that. But I was hoping I could probably talk to him a little bit about, um, like, just in general, like, some of, the, like, his perspectives on things and see if I could put it on my channel. So I'll ask. If he says no, I'm not going to be butthurt over it. Um, but uh, I'll see what, what of the class he's okay with me videoing and or putting online just as a general review and discuss because I'd like to make that part of my channel. Right. And it'd be nice to actually I, – I don't think Travis has been teaching or picking up the teaching re- until recently. My yeah, my understanding basically, and and I don't want to talk for him, and I don't know the exact circumstances, but I know stuff got a little fuzzy with Remington there at the end with the the, the bankruptcy and all that, and mm-hmm. I think there were some issues with him teaching, but still technically being employed by them. I'm not sure how that all worked out, mm-hmm. but he did publicly announce a couple of months back that he was doing classes and he had his website up and everything like that. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, sign me up for this. Mm-hmm. Um, He's a cool guy. He's got he's got an amazing background and experience um, at the highest level of these sports, like at the you know international level. Um, and to get his perspective on things is, as far as I'm concerned, worth its weight in gold. Um, top it off, the guy is probably one of the nicest human beings I've ever met. So. Yeah, and I listen. I listened to that interview too, and it was quite nice. And it was interesting to hear him mental talk about his mental process of imagining himself on the podium. After mm-hmm. for his world shoot, and I, that is fascinating. I I would love to wrap my brain into that and be like, how did it feel? I mean, like truly feel. I mean, yeah. And he was he was competing and working with Max back in Max's open days, mm-hmm. and 
Oh, when ammo, yeah. ammo is plentiful and government supplied. Yeah, well, I was about to say that Max's open days ended lo- long after they both left the AMU. I mean, he was shooting open right up until 2017, 2018. Yeah, when the CO became uh, provisional or, yeah. or just out of provisional status. Yeah. Now, speaking of CO in its early days, would you have shot CO in its original configuration? I did. Oh, did you? Okay. See, yeah, that's something I, I was, didn't know. I, I was shooting it. I had a, actually, um, I have right here. So I bought this as a backup to my production CO gun. And at the time, it was a, they were having a discount. And this mm-hmm. is an MOS modded mo- model. And I thought, oh, well, it's got the, the thing for a dot. And oh, I'll buy a dot on a lark. It'll be fun. Maybe I'll go play with it at a steel match or something like that. And I got a dot, threw it on there, and I played with it for about half a day, and I went and shot a match. And for me, I destroyed it, this USPSA match. And I was like, wow, this is kind of neat. And so it was just basically, it was just shooting production with a dot, but I actually liked it. Um, I kept going. And then the rule shifted a couple of months after that, where they were like, okay, 140 mags, and you can fill them up. So the game changed after that. Yeah, I current I personally like the 140 full mags. I w- I wouldn't be disappointed if they change the rules to maybe more be in line with Ipsic rules for the division, but I'd I'd miss to see the kind of the money you spend in extensions and whatnot get thrown away pretty much if they went down to 15 round mags. I don't want the 15 round rule. I. I, it's a weird combo division, but it makes it interesting. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you get minor power factor, but, you know, you can take open level, tight or difficult shots because you got a dot. Mm-hmm. You're often running a limited similar stage plan because you're round capacity. And then, you know, you're running a gun that functionally is much more like a production gun. Mm-hmm. And it's a weird combination of things. But I, I, for me, it, it kind of works. It fits a a niche. I'm not, I'm not super keen on seeing a lot of changes to the CO. I know there's a lot of guys that want to see a lot of different things hit. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I, you know, I, I'm, I can see the creep towards it becoming just open minor, and I get that. Um, but I think there are certain things like allowing like guys with like the staccatos or whatever, the ones that are factory, and you know, they're basically 1911s that are coming preset for a dot. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's an inherent advantage to having those. Mm-hmm. But comps, yes. Gigantic magwells, yeah. Mm-hmm. Smaller carry magwells, probably not. You know. I, and honestly, that's the one thing I would like to see because, and not I don't even care if it just lines the plastic magwell on my Gen 5 Glock. I would just like my frame to not be destroyed <laughs> within a year to have to go replace it. It's all, like in that new FN, if that thing takes to market and really succeeds that'd be an interesting way to change maybe the outline of guns for competitiveness i don't know if it'll take off but it's a really interesting idea with the sacrificial magwell but we'll see yep and honestly i would like a magnet if it was behind my hip bone i don't really care i want a magnet I mean, it's convenient, but I don't think there's a difference in skill level there. I don't think that's going to make or break anybody's skill level. So. No, and I definitely think that it only really benefits the unloaded start, mags on a barrel kind of stage. You know, and you only you need one for the gun and one for a reload instead of having to jam it into the pouching and slap it on a magnet. Yeah. But what are you going to lose? Maybe a tenth of a second having to put it in the pouch compared to a magnet. So it's really no big gain. You'll you'll lose you'll lose more than a tenth putting it yeah. stuffing in the mag pouch versus being able to slap it to a magnet. But yeah, it again it's if everybody it doesn't really matter, right? So if it's one way, then everybody is one way, and if it's the other, then everybody is the other. It doesn't really differentiate the division. You know, follow. Yeah. So it's not like you know if, if they say magnets are cool, well I'll be in the same group as everybody else getting magnets for the exact reason that you just stated. Mm-hmm. If they say magnets aren't cool, then I'm not going to get one, and we're all still having to reload the same way. Right. And. And I kind of agree. I don't care. I don't mind if a staccato wants to come in and play in carry optics, long as it doesn't have the honking magwell. And honestly, you can't really work a comp on minor power factor ammo. Yes, you it, can. Yes, you can, and it makes a difference. See, I haven't tested that. I'll have to look into that. I, then. 
I've, I've shot, I've actually shot the, um, there's a guy who does a lot of training for staccato. Uh, uh, his name's Matt Little. He, oh, uh, Greybeard. Yeah, Greybeard Actual. Um, he moved from the Chicago area here to the Austin area, and I shot with him a bit. Mm-hmm. And it messed with those uh, staccatos. And, the, yeah, the ones with the comps on them, like, it, it, it's noticeable. Like, you, you almost expect, because I'm so used to grabbing a plastic gun, and, and you know, I, I certainly put a good grip on it. But you grab one of those staccatos, and they're, they're A, they're not as heavy as you might think they are. Um, mm-hmm. But, B, it was interesting. Like, you shoot with a comp, and it's like the slide just sort of does its thing. Mm-hmm. You don't really feel the gun rocking in your hands much. It does make a difference. And you can grab one of the ones that's not that's not comped, and you'll feel the difference. It's still very controllable, but it's like that comp does help. Like there now, is a measurable difference. Is that is he's shooting the XC, isn't he? Um, for USPSA, right? Or are you talking about just in general? In general, I think he. I think I remember him shooting an XC before it was he, called I, an XC. I, I don't know what the the, number, the labels are. I know he does generally carry with one, and he likes the one with the comp. Mm-hmm. Um, for USPSA, he actually has an actual open gun though. He's got like a oh. 2011 framed open gun with a you know frame mounted dot and the whole whole nine yards. I knew his wife did. I didn't know that he actually had an uh, race an open race gun. I thought he was just shooting with a regular the uh, no, Staccato. Does he? Yeah, done both. But now he's shooting. He he actually was waiting for the the uh, the race gun to get built, so he's been been shooting that. Oh, okay. So maybe they'll uh, bring the race guns line back, maybe. Hopefully. Don't hold your breath. Well, I'm not going to open anytime soon. I'm too poor to shoot open. I have enough money to shoot open. I'm still not going to open. That's too much of a pain in the ass. Well, you don't like... You rather would buy it cheap and stack it deep than low drone ammo and... What deal not? with finicky magazines and, and balancing ports and popple holes and yeah, forget it. No. Yeah. Too much or, work. Yeah. And oh, your uh, the slide racker broke or or a finicky race holster that could break and then your gun stuck in the holster. I've actually I can't remember. Somebody actually had their gun locked in their holster because they uh, broke a screw off of them. But all right. Oh, now you said um prior. To, before now, what other classes have you taken? Prior to this, what other classes have I taken? I've taken um, both classes from, from uh, Kita for 180s firearm training. Uh, so I've taken her basic movement class and I've taken her advanced class. Um, I've taken Anderson's uh, Steve Anderson's basic class. And I have taken a class with uh, Ben Stugger. It was many, many years ago. Um, and I've taken a class with uh, a local guy here. Uh, his name's Carl Wren. He does uh, training at KR Training. Um, he was running a competition class in conjunction with another local shooter here, a guy by the name of Roy Stedman. Roy is uh, actually kind of one of those, he's one of those quiet, good shooters. Um, he has gone to Ipsic Worlds, I think, for everyone since like the mid 2000s. Um, he made it before this whole COVID craziness, but he made it to shoot classics in the senior division for the U.S. team. Um, but he is an open grandmaster, and I believe he's also a single stack grandmaster, a limited master. Um, he's Roy is an all-around good shooter, and so he uh, helps teach that class. And that was actually some of the first real instruction in competition shooting I got beyond just watching YouTube videos. Awesome. Now, classic, that's production in ipsic no single stack oh. okay yep you're right it's classic a single stack standard yep standard is limited and... limited i think production is production if I remember okay right. it's silly but yeah but hilariously that's not legal in production it's too, too long. long that's why you get a glock 17 and uh run that in uh production in ipsic Oh, um, ooh, this is my one of my favorite questions I thought about. What is something that current you would like to tell past you about shooting? What would master level Brian like to tell entry level unclassified Brian Can about it be shooting? more than one thing? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so I would tell entry level Brian three things. Okay. Number one. 
your level doesn't matter. Go take a class right now. And I would probably tell myself to go take Steve Anderson's class. Because mm-hmm. that is an amazing class to have, especially when you're early on in the shooting sports. He fixes, he shortcuts a lot of the stupidity that you normally go through trying to hump around and figure stuff out on your own. So number one, like I had a problem too early on. I'm like, I'm not good enough to take a class. Mm-hmm. It's utterly backwards thinking. Like when you're not good enough, that's when you take the class because that's where it's going to pay off the most. So that would be the first thing I'd tell myself. Number two, I'd say get a Glock and stick to it and quit looking at other guns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I think I probably lost development time bouncing between platforms trying to find the best gun. And every time I did that, it would screw up and cause me problems. I, I can literally chalk up in my shooting career probably about three lost years worth of time to me dicking around with other guns. Mm-hmm. Um, last but not least, leave it stock. It doesn't matter. Those would be the three things that I would tell myself. Um, because as I've gotten further and further along the road, these are the things that I've seen and these are the deficiencies that I wish I could have fixed earlier on. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been talking to some people recently who are like, who are hesitant to take a class. Like, for example, I'm talking to this A-class shooter every once in a while. Um, and he's like, oh, when I get to when I get to master, I'll take a class so I can get to GM. And I'm like, but you can figure out your shortcuts now if you take a class. And and some people they've got the ego of I don't need someone to I don't need to spend money to, for someone else to show me or teach me and tell me that I'm doing something wrong or inefficient. Well, there's nothing not there's nothing wrong I would say, but you could be doing something way more efficient or proficiently than you are now. And the ego check even in like the tactical and self defense side, a lot of people with egos thinking they're better than they are. And if they took some yeah. simple instruction, you know, get their ego checked at the door, I'd like to say, and find out that they're not the top shot and the hot guy, they'd be better off for taking that class. Yeah. Well, and the big lesson that I learned with the classes is the class doesn't make you better. The class allows you to better understand the things that you need to do to make yourself better. So you get through that class and it's like, okay, you now understand the proper way to get this done, do what it is, and you understand what your deficiencies are and so you can go practice to fix that and mm-hmm. you shortcut your process versus you know humping around in the dark and hoping for the best right and especially like when it comes to uh uh finding instructors find the person that you want to take a class or what you're trying to fix like i i want to fix my movement or something like that well i'm going to look for i'm not going to look for any competition shooting coach i'm going to look for someone who you know is proficient in movement or that's what their key teaching points are like Kida. That's all she does. She might be help you with your shooting, but her job is to make you a better mover while shooting. Mm-hmm. So don't JJ, go. You know, JJ, JJ. Another good instructor for that. <sighs> JJ. He, I, I, it's funny. Everyone says he came out of the womb, like holding a gun, but that is definitely not true. But that man puts a lot of hard work into it. Mm-hmm. And he is ripped. He is ripped. But he is the funniest guy. If you follow anyone on social media, you need to all follow JJ Rakaza for the lols and the funny things he posts on his story when he steals things from his children. I.e. right now he's got these little like Mario Kart like things they ride around the neighborhood on, like made mm-hmm. for children, but he's riding on it. I mean, JJ's not that tall, but he's like his legs are all kicked out and he's riding with it. It's freaking hilarious. I'll have to send you a video of that. That's kind of funny. Yeah. You'll get a kick out. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree with you on keeping your gun stock. I mean, not everyone need, is going to like a Glock. They might like a P10C, but that's a Glock. Exactly. Find a, a well, cheap gun and get fine. good at it. No, not necessarily not a cheap gun, but I mean, find what you like and stick with it. If you like Shadow 2s and they make you feel warm and fuzzy on the inside, awesome. Rock, rock and roll, brother. Like I, I don't have any issues with any of those things, but one of the things that I did is I spent a lot, of, again, a lot of time chasing the modifications, trying to make something better, and that would have been time, energy, and money better spent on ammo, practice, and focus time versus mm-hmm. sticking with the guns. Right, or always trying to find that next thing, that next gear item to make you better and mull over an inefficient way of doing things or just poor technique and mm-hmm. or... And if people just got over some of the crap that, oh, I need that trigger, I need that gun, they I want that guy's setup. That guy's setup's not going to make you any better if you still are a crappy 
have crappy trigger control and bad sight picture and sight alignment. Bingo. And as soon as people get over that, they become better instantaneously. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just like your ego at the door. Just get it checked, and we're going to move on, and we're going to learn from here. Yep. Just like the uh, everyone talks about the tactical shooters all going to their first match and getting their dick kicked in by the gynecologist or the accountant. Yeah. I, that's still one of my favorites. There's a club here that's up north. It's close to an, um, an army base here in Texas. And uh, I shoot up there a lot. And I've had a couple of guys ask me, like, well, what do you do for a living? Like, they've shot with me, and you know, I'm busy smoking a stage. And then I tell them, and they, they, I get blank stares from them. I'm just like. You just got to say you're uh, a professional shooter out of your own wallet. <laughs> I had one girl, oh man, I was shooting an IDPA match, oh man, this must have been two years ago now, and I was shooting, there was a father and a daughter, and it was their first or second match together, and they were having a good time, and they were being safe, which is frankly all I cared about. The dad, like after the third stage, came up to me and says, hey, you know, I know you're pretty quick at this, he's like, can you give me, some, give me some advice? And I was like, sure, what do you need advice on? He asked a few questions, so I, I just gave my honest opinion, I mean, I don't know how much you I'm not a professional shooting trainer, so my advice is worth, you know, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought to myself, like, eh, you know, okay, here you go, whatever. And we shot this one funky stage where you shoot off a balance beam, right? And everybody was kind of doing this, like, whoa, whoa, okay, bang, whoa, bang, whoa. And I'm like, I looked at the balance beam, and they're like, they allowed you in the walkthrough to get on it, stand on it. I realized that if I turn my feet, bladed them a little bit, and like squat it, I could turn all the way and see all the targets and stay balanced without going anywhere. And I could shoot really fast and just jump off the side of it and run up to the next obstacle. And everybody's trying to like slowly inch their way up and shoot all the targets. Mm-hmm. So like the buzzer went off, I ran up there, I hopped up on it, and the thing squatted down, shoved all the targets, hopped off of it, finished the rest of the stage. And the girl's like, "Oh my god, you're really good. Are you like, are you like a professional?" <laughs> and I really didn't mean to do it to like upset her or like be like a jerk. I just broke up laughing. I'm like, no, no, I'm not, not even close. Like not even remotely a professional shooter. Like, no. And she's like, but you're so good. I'm like, no, I'm really not. Like you, like, you know, I don't, I didn't say it, but in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm the smart, smart kid in the short bus. It's not that big a deal. Like, you know, it's just, it's Yeah. So it is interesting, you know, you, you start seeing stratification the further up you go to, like your, your mental state about how good or you are or you aren't. Now, myself, I'm not that good. But if I compare myself to, say, some guy who's a B-class who's been shooting for two years, I look amazing, which I find to be hilarious because I, all I do is see flaws in everything I do. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe if you started looking at the positives of what you're doing, you'd uh, your self-image would be improved and your mental game would go through the roof. Maybe, but, uh, you know. I'll let Tomasi fix your mental I'll let Tomasi fix your mental game. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I mean, and, and truly, the the Lanny Basham method is not for everyone. It works for me so far, but I'm not everybody, so. Yep. But, uh... Oh, okay. Now, here's a good one I like. Uh, who are slash were your biggest mentors? Someone you looked up to, you know, and kind of brought you up through the ranks. In shooting sports or shooting in general? Shooting sports, shooting in general, whatever floats your boat. Okay. Well, first and foremost is my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was the one that first took me to the range for the very first time. Um, bless you. And bless you. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, my dad took me to the range for the very first time. He was the one that got me into this stuff in the first place. Um, he was the one that, you know, when I was, like, nine and I wanted to try his big 1911-45, he was just like, okay, here you go, kid. Like, and there wasn't any, like, holding back or worrying about it, let me have it at it. Um, I think second would be my grandpa, Ben, who would be my maternal grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the one that taught me to shoot trap and skeet. Um, he was also, this is during my teenage years, was sort of like one of those guys that was like, he would teach me some of the basics. And I was so used to like my dad always like being there, staying behind, okay, do this and then do this and work with this and then do this. 
grapple band is like, all right, this is how you do this. You understand what I'm saying? All right, go out there and do it, kid. I'm going to go talk to this guy over here. And he would leave me on a squad by myself with people I don't know. And I'd have to go shoot 25 rounds and skeet. And it, honestly, like, that wasn't a bad thing. It taught mm-hmm. me to learn to interact with people. Uh, taught me self-reliance, self-analysis. So there was a lot there that he was like, here you go, kid. He also liked to play jokes on me, but that's a whole other that's a, that's a other pile of hilarious stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so that was uh, that, that was probably the first two. Um, there's been guys that I follow uh, like in the practical shooting, like once I got here, started doing it. Like I realized I wanted to be better, so I knew mm-hmm. I needed to hang out with the better shooters. I would argue some of that has changed. Um, I know two of the guys that I used to follow. One of them was a left-hander who was shooting locks, and I I I was like. This guy's cool. He's really fast. He's cool. He's confident. He's a lefty like me. Like, I'm going to follow him around and, like, get his advice. And him and this other guy were both really good shooters. And this other guy was a better shooter than him. But through them, I got to know a lot of the better shooters in the community in general. Uh Um, And at this point, I know the one guy, he's basically, as far as I know, he stopped shooting in the shooting sports. the, The guy I idolized initially. Um, the other guy has continued on sort of off and on, you know, his life and career has sort of gotten in the way of some things, but, um, I would argue to some extent, I'm either, I know for the first guy, I'm definitely a better shooter. He's just basically stopped. I think even the second guy, he and I don't shoot the same division, but I think if you could find parity between the two of us and eliminate division disparity, I I would argue I'm a better shooter than he is. And I, I looked to him at his shooting ability for a very long time. Um, you know, he's still a friend of mine, still a nice guy. Um, you know, I'm still happy to squat with him, shoot with him, you know, swap hilarious stories and tell jokes. Um, but it's interesting that, you know, as as things have progressed, my skill level has grown. And, and those people who I once idolized became rivals and then ceased being even rivals. Mm-hmm. So there's people now that I, I, I look up to that I'm still friendly with. It's a very interesting dynamic the further up you go. Um, you mentioned earlier when we were looking at scores, Tyler, there's a guy here in Central Texas, Tyler Northcutt. He's a very good shooter in CO, definitely better shooter than I am. And I definitely look up to him mm-hmm. uh, as far as the shooting. And I like shooting with him. Um, but it's interesting to me because I'm friendly with him. Like, it's not like there's some separation where I don't, 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 don't talk to him or get too far. Like he's a friendly, like, oh my God, it, it, it's just Tyler. Like he's a cool dude. He's a really good shooter. He's great to talk to. And I found that the further up the ranks I've gotten, that's more and more true. It tends to be the ones that are literally professional shooters. And I don't mean like the guys that are really good at nationals. I mean, the ones that pay the bills by pulling the trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, those are the guys like Max Shell and Ben Stugger and, 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 you know, the, I don't even know if Christian Siler, well, I know he teaches classes and so guys like that. They 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 teach a lot of classes, they they do seminars, they they are literally paid by a company to shoot a gun. Um, mm-hmm. those guys they tend to have a air of separation about them. Um not sure what that's necessarily about, but all the other guys tend not to be. They tend to be pretty friendly. You know, you talk to JBL, I've talked to JBL, I get to meet him at Nats. Mm-hmm. You know, and what he ended up fifth overall, right? Uh, yes, fifth in carry optics. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and he's just 100% approachable. Chat with him, see how he's doing. Like, there's, and it's interesting. Like, you know, so I can still look at him and say, you know, this is a guy that I idolize for his shooting skills and for his, his especially his mental game. Um, but at the same time, he's still just a guy I can talk to. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no wall. There's no pedestal, if that makes any sense. Yeah, Jay, I, I like talking to Jay. I almost talk to Jay as much as I talk to you, and that's a lot. But, And he's quite a nice guy, you know. It doesn't even have to be about shooting anymore, which is quite nice, you know. He's that great of a, he's that nice a guy. I, yeah, I, I would say there were some people who you, I would have idolized, but now they just become more friends and whatnot. And, yeah, I would agree that it's something about that, really, that top 1%, those guys who are pulling the trigger to pay the bills, who are the little out of the out of reach essentially, but not yeah, always. I'm not saying I'm not saying that they're rude by any stretch or that no. they're mean. Or it's just like you do notice, like like Max Michelle, like if you saw him at Nats and you're like, hey Max, good luck. He turns smile and give you a fist bump, whatever. 
you know, he, he was definitely sociable, but mm-hmm. there is always this weird air that you're not, you're not quite, you know, there's, there's, there is some sense of separation that happens right. there. Unless you were um, at that, unless you're like Casey or JJ on that level with Max. And I think a lot of that is because those guys are shot together so much. They're just friends. Right. But you know why um, Max Michelle won Nats, right? Mm. Blanton fist bumped him on day two. Yeah, well, he's didn't. He won every stage that day. Yeah, he burned it down. Now, as we're getting near the end of the show, I've got a couple more questions. This one I've stole from Scott Jedlinski because I like how he puts this. What is okay. the one thing that people can st- can start doing or stop doing to get better? When start doing or stop doing to get better. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give a, uh, a stop doing. Mm-hmm. And the stop doing is making excuses why you can't get better. I have met a lot of people that, you know, every time you give them an opportunity to improve, they will tell you the three reasons why they can't do that make that opportunity happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's... You know, it, it's probably a question of motivation, but I have met people that they're just so conditioned that way. They only see the downside of everything. And, you know, well, it's, it's you know, oh, well, this recession and you, nobody can find any ammo. So there's no way I can get better. I just I just can't. Like, it's not a thing. Like, so dry fire. Well, I've got kids. OK, so dry fire at night. Well, my wife hates guns. Cool. Grab a stick. Start working your footwork. Well, that would just look dumb. Like, you know, it, find every reason every, in the book to not do anything mm-hmm. yeah and they'll tell you every reason why they can't make themselves get better and it's interesting I, I i will say that's that's the one thing people can stop doing like if you really want want this mm-hmm. find the path you know if you've got obstacles figure out how to get around what obstacles you can you know if you don't have a range you can go live fire and run around at you're in the same boat as a lot of other people but there's ways around that mm-hmm. yeah and honestly you can go and go to the indoor shooting range and still put bullets down range and still it's a little inconvenient but you can still get the practice in yep and and i wish a lot more people would just stop making excuses i know personally if someone gives me a critique or something i can do better and try to improve i'm gonna say thank you i'm gonna give it a shot and i'll report back to you what i find and if i don't find that it works for me like a technique or something i'll say it but at least i gave it a shot and tried instead of saying Oh, that won't work for me. Oh, that attitude will take you far, sir. It will take you very far. You will learn so much more by not having a closed-off mental state. And I, I will say I got lucky. My mom and my supporting family members have all kind of instilled that in me. It's like, just give it a shot. If it doesn't work, you wasted, what, an hour maybe? Maybe, especially in dry fire, time's infinite, really. I mean, it's just as much time as you can. Mm-hmm. And... I just wish people would get over their hurdles like that. You know, their mental stigmas and dogmas. If they got over those, they could all get better. Now, I know we've talked about this, but so the people know, do you have any sponsors? Nope. I I certainly have companies that I appreciate and support myself, Mm -hmm. but I don't have any official sponsors. Yeah. My wallet. Your wall. Yeah, that needs to be on everybody's jersey. I need to tell Go Fast, Don't Suck to put that on everyone's jerseys, just on the bottom. You're their wallet. <laughs> and uh, now, in those companies that you like to um, help out and support, can you name some of those so the people can go find them and maybe help support them too? Sure. Uh, Kita Bussy's uh, cl- uh, group, the 180 uh, firearm train group says she's been an integral in teaching me how to be a better mover on a stage. Um, so for that, I'm, I'm infinitely grateful. I think she runs a great class. And I talked to a lot of guys who, who, you know, well, she's only like a B class shooter. Or they, they complain about something about her shooting. And I'm like, yeah, except for the fact she understands how the human body moves and she's watched enough for a sport to know how to make people move better. Mm-hmm. If you're willing to, to, to check your ego at the door and listen to her, then you will learn a lot and it will make you better. Mm-hmm. Um, I also give a shout out to, to uh, Empire. Uh, they do um, slide cuts and they make uh, 
you know, Glock parts and accessories are out of San Antonio. They've done the slide cuts actually for my uh, G17. So this uh, cut for the optic was done by them as well as for my carry gun. Uh, they do great work uh, and they're a, a good shop in general. Uh, otherwise, I mean, I've got the gear I buy is the gear I buy. I don't, mm-hmm. can't say I've necessarily had a whole lot of support from other people, but those are the, the folks that I like to shout out. Um, as far as like, hey, I'm, I'm glad I spent money there and did what I did. I mean, obviously, we talked about like Steve Anderson. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a good trainer. So. Absolutely. And last but not least, where can they find you? I know you pulled some things off and pulled some things back on, so I don't know exactly what's going on for the people out there. Yeah, so um, I am still on YouTube, and you can find my channel by searching for R-E-D-S underscore dot so reds dot um i'm on uh, youtube i'm also on instagram at reds dot however i do not regularly check my instagram normally i'm only on there long enough to post videos that i'm posting to youtube every once in a while i'll interact there but it's pretty rare so i just use that as a secondary outlet for things so if you message me there don't expect a fast response just fyi but i do eventually get around to seeing those things awesome well, Brian, I really appreciate you coming on tonight and spending your time with me for this awesome adventure of the podcast, Manny Talks. It's the inaugural episode, so we're going to have a great time. We had a great time, and we're going to do hopefully have these every two to three weeks popping up on the channel and whatnot. So I'm hoping I've got guests lined up, and I really appreciate you being number one and taking the time, buddy. And I'd like to tell everybody, have a good night, be safe, and check your egos at the door and get better. There you go. Boom.